How's everyone doing? Good. Uh, I've been told that usually you have somebody sit here and drink coffee and talk to you over coffee. I don't, I don't really do that. I, I kind of like to walk around if that's okay. But uh, I, I, love, I love the church and I love Jesus and his people. How many of you know you're not uh, in the house of God tonight? You're with the house of God. Uh, the Bible says that uh, you're God's field, you're God's building. And uh, it's not some kind of a physical space, uh, but it's you. God lives inside of you. And so I, I like to say that whenever I get up to preach because I think it dispels some uh, misconceptions about who Jesus is, what he does in your life. But it also gives you right perspective on the church. And uh, so you're not in the house of God. You're with the house of God. And I'm privileged to be with you all tonight. And I, I would like to have you do something before I jump into our message. And if you could stand up, and I'd like to pray over you. I'd like to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to come speak to us. Can we do that? I heard, I heard a rumor that you guys like to pray. I don't, I don't know if, that's, uh, if that was true, but uh, we're going to go ahead and do that uh, to start off. And if you just take your hands, not because it's special or it does something necessarily, uh, but uh, just as a sign, just as a sign of what's going on in your heart, if you just take your hands, put them over your heart, and just pray with me. Holy Spirit, thank you, Jesus, for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us to live this life without some kind of guidance, without some kind of direction. But Lord, you even said that it was better for Jesus to leave and the Holy Spirit to be with us. And so we have something even better tonight than Jesus in the flesh. Even though some of us would like to say, where's God when I need him? Where's Jesus? If he was only here right now, I could know the will of God. Well, we know, Jesus, that you said the Holy Spirit's even better. And we thank you that we have that tonight in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray over every heart, every life that's in hearing tonight. And I ask, Lord, that you wouldn't just uh, speak a word, but, Lord, that you would change, you would impact, you would mold hearts and minds and lives in the name of Jesus, that you would build your church, build your kingdom in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. Well, if you could turn your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs. How many of you enjoy the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28. If you're there, say, I got it. Proverbs 28 and verse 1. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing. But the righteous are bold as a lion. I'm going to read that one more time. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I have a, a message for you tonight on fear. Any of you afraid in the house? Yeah, I, I didn't think anyone would raise their hand. Well, I'm here to tell you that some of you are afraid. You may not know it. You may not realize it. It may not make sense to you at first, but I believe that by the time we're done with this message tonight, uh, it will make a little bit of sense to you. And I, I, I love this area. I love Newport News. I love Williamsburg. Uh, I grew up over in the Boston area, actually, uh, Amanda Hiltz. Uh, I've, I've known Amanda since I was about uh, 14 years old or so. Uh, we were both pastor's kids up in Massachusetts. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm from that area. I miss that area. Williamsburg is, is the closest thing I've found in Virginia uh, to that area of Massachusetts. And, uh, and I, I really like it because of that. Uh, but every once in a while, I still got to get out. I still got to go and make a trip back home, make a trip up to New England. And uh, recently, I was uh, going on a plane ride because I had to take a trip up to Maine. Anybody ever been to Maine? Maine, a few of you. Uh, Maine uh, is not nearly as good as Massachusetts, uh, but, you know, I, I had to make a trip up there just to kind of get close. And uh, so I was making a trip to Maine. It was for work. It was for business. And uh, I had a layover in Philadelphia. Now, I'm not a fan of the layover, okay. I prefer the direct flight if I can get it. But every once in a while, I know I need the layover. So uh, this particular flight that I had, I had a layover in Philadelphia. And I was going up to Maine. And I was flying out of here, Newport News. Now, the Newport News Airport, for uh, all its, uh, its beauties, all its wonders, uh, one of the issues that it has is it usually does not fly out, if ever, uh, large planes. 
If you haven't noticed, I'm kind of a large individual, all right? And so I, I have a little bit of an issue flying on small planes. And usually when I go on a trip, I, I, I'm kind of like a girl. I, I like to pack for options, okay? <laughs> See, I don't, I don't uh, pack my suitcase with intention. I'm not a man when it comes to packing. I don't make a decision and think in my mind, I've got an intention. I'm going there to do this, and I will wear this, and I know ahead of I'm not like that. See, I, I, I start packing. I'm like, what if I want to wear blue that day? What if I want to wear green? I don't know. What if I want to wear a checkered shirt? What if, what if I want to wear something with stripes? I, I don't know. You know, oh, those shoes are nice, but I, I just bought these other shoes over here. And so for a two-day trip, I end up packing this huge bag. Like, you ever seen a hockey player's bag, like an NHL player's bag? That's my luggage typically for a weekend trip. All right, but this particular trip, uh, I was carrying on, which I don't normally do, but I did this time just to save a little bit of money. And so I crammed all my clothes in there, barely got my zipper shut because, like I said, I packed for options. And I needed something that would fit on the plane. So I, I get on the plane, I start walking in, and I'm carrying my, my big man purse, okay. Uh, don't, don't worry, I, I, am, I am masculine, okay. I, I've got a man purse, I, I pack for options. And, and so I, I start getting on the plane, I've got my big, my big uh, messenger bag, and I'm carrying my, my carry-on behind me. And I have to duck to get in the plane. And, and, and this annoys me because it's, it's as if somebody designed this plane and said, you know what, nobody who is six feet tall or more will ever step foot on this plane. Nobody will. Everybody who comes on this plane will be 5'11 or below. And I'm, I'm six foot four, and so, you know, I, I have to dip down and, you know, get my head down underneath there. And, and I, I'm dipping down just to walk down the aisle, and I'm, I'm <laughs> hey, how are you? And I got my bag. <laughs> oh, sorry, you know, my purse bumped you. I, I, keep, I keep going along. And, you know, the, the big things, the, the overhead compartments, the doors are still open. I'm trying not to hit my head on that. And so, you know, finally I, I jam my bag up there and jam it in there. And, and I finally get it in there. I close the latch, and I go and I find my seat. My seat is all the way in the back of the plane. Now, the back of the plane is typically the loudest part of one of those smaller planes because it's closest to the engine. But what you may not know about the back of the plane, too, is that it's also one of the shakiest parts of the plane. Now, I have a notoriously weak stomach. I, yes, I am masculine. <laughs> I, I am. Now you know three things about me that, you know, kind of tear that down in your, in your mind. But, you know, I, I have a notoriously weak stomach. And so I'm sitting back there and I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm fine. I'm just sitting there. I'm good. I, I've had my coffee. I ate two Cliffs bars. You know, going, I know you're only supposed to eat one. But like I said, I'm a large individual. I ate two. I ate two Cliffs bars and I had my coffee and I got on there. And I'm sitting and, I, and I'm, I'm doing great. I'm waiting for the plane to take off. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. Nothing happens. And so I'm like, what, are we still waiting for somebody? But nobody's sitting in the seat next to me. So I figure that we're waiting on the person who's sitting next to me. And after a couple more minutes, I find out I was right. And in walks on the plane, one of the largest women I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> very, very large woman. She walks all the way back, has more trouble walking to the back than I had trouble walking to the back. Sits down next to me, and you know, I, I'm kind of doing this number. I'm in the window seat, and you know, and and I don't know. They, they give you the one armrest, you know, and I'm I'm putting my arm there, and but she's putting her her arm. She can't help but put her arm there. And I'm like, really, like you know, we do this fight for the armrest. You know what I'm talking about? You've done that before. And so we take off, and, I, and I'm kind of uncomfortable. I'm like, all right, you know what, maybe, maybe Jesus wants to minister to this lady. Just, I didn't think that at all. <laughs> I, 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 I was just uncomfortable, and so I'm sitting there, I'm like, when's this flight going to be over? And so we take off, and we start on the bumpiest plane ride I have ever been on in my life. The bumpiest plane ride ever. There was a moment on this plane ride where my feet left the floor. Because the plane just did a dive like that and my feet were left up like this. And I, was, I thought I left Bush Gardens back in Hampton Roads, but I was way up at 30,000 feet, my feet leaving the floor. And so I start to get a little rumbly in my tumbly. And we're going and we're going. And all of a sudden we start the descent. And I'm like, praise you, Jesus, you're good. You bless me, Lord, this flight is over. I'm not going to have an accident. I'm going to be just fine. 
And we start this descent, and I look out the window, I'm like, oh, Lord, what's it about, 15 minutes or so? I've flown enough where I know it's about 15 minutes. I swear, 10 minutes goes by, I've got my eyes closed, I look out, and we're still the same height above the ground. I don't know if we were circling around Philly or what we were doing. And so finally, we start to descend a little bit more. But how many of you know that when you're about to throw up, when you're about to throw up, there's level one and two, and three, and then you skip to eight or nine. And that's exactly what happened to me, where I felt like I was good, I thought I was going to contain it, but all of a sudden, I start getting up to nine, and I realize I'm not going to be able to keep this in. I realize I, I'm going to vomit. I've got the largest woman I've ever seen in my life sitting right next to me, touching me because she's so large, and I have to throw up. So I start thumbing through the seat back in front of me. I get past hemispheres. I get past Sky Mall. I get past that, that plastic card that nobody ever reads, the safety card. And I, I get past that. And you know what? I'm, I'm looking for the holy grail. I'm looking for that barf bag. And I feel nothing. I feel the upholstery behind hemispheres. And so I lean across and start looking in the seat back in front of my companion here, and I'm just frantic, and she's kind of like, what's going on? You, know, it's like, you have your own magazines. Why are you trying to grab mine? And I am start flipping through like this, no barf bag. <laughs> so I start looking around for something. I start looking around for anything. I've got my coat. I've got my winter coat, so I pull my coat off, I pull my wallet and my phone out of my breast pocket, I stick it back behind my hips here like this, and I just unleash into my coat. But here's the thing, I was so skilled at this that I was able to contain all of it inside of my coat. I was able to protect it so that my companion wouldn't see it and I'm still going into my coat like this and I'm fine and I, and I, I sort of take a breather and I, I come up for air and I'm like, oh Jesus, you're good. You bless me, Lord. It's contained. But remember, we're on a bumpy plane ride. So all of a sudden, we hit the griffin. And we go down, and all of everything that was inside of me comes splashing onto the floor, all over my feet, all over the carpet. And if you didn't smell it before, you sure as heck smelled it then. And so I sit there, and by this time, <laughs> there, there's no hiding this from the woman sitting next to me. I mean, she knew. And, and so, you know, we get down, and I, I'm, I'm white as a sheet. And she looks over at me, and she goes, are you Okay. I'm like, no, I'm not okay. She goes, she gets off the plane. I'm sitting there drenched in my own vomit from my knees down. My coat, my love, my favorite winter coat is just soiled. It's foul. The stewardess comes, takes care of me. I go, I get on my connecting flight, but I haven't quite recovered. You thought the story was over. The story's not over, folks. I get on my connecting flight. And I start going up in the air, and we're going to Maine. And I'm sitting next to this gentleman. Okay, he's a big guy, not as large as the woman who was with me on my first flight. But I start sitting there, and finally we get up, and we're on the descent, and we're going down. And I realize, Jesus, I'm at eight again. I went from three to eight once again. I hadn't quite recovered. And so I start thumbing through hemispheres and sky mall. And I find, thank you, Jesus, you bless me. Jesus, you love me. I've got the barf bag right there. So I pull it open, but it's, it's not coming open. Somebody who had been in there before me, who I wish I could get my hands on, had stuck their gum inside of there and fused the sides of it. This is not a made-up story. This is the gospel truth. I am not embellishing a single thing. And I stick my fingers down inside somebody's DNA that's on their gum, and I rip it apart and just go to town inside my barf bag. The man next to me, I subjected him to it, and I, I just look at him. I didn't even say anything. He could see in my eyes that I was profoundly sorry for everything that he was experiencing next to me. True story. True story. I've got this fear of vomiting. I've got this fear of vomiting, and you know, this is an actual clinical fear, and I, I, I can't remember, oh yeah, that's right, vomitophobia. That's the name of the fear. Vomitophobia is the fear of throwing up, but we've got all kinds of crazy fears 
nowadays. People are afraid of all kinds of things. You got people afraid of strange faces, new places, other races, people other than themselves receiving praises. We've got issues. There's papophobia, an abnormal or persistent pathological fear of the Pope or the papacy. The new Pope's a pretty cool guy. If you, if he's washing people's feet and he's not living in the papal palace. Ephibiphobia, the fear of teenagers. Every person except for Justin White and myself has that in this room. <laughs> Scopophobia, fear of being looked at. Spectrophobia, fear of mirrors. Vomitophobia, fear of vomiting. But God's best for you, church, is that you have no fear. Is that you have no fear. And I, I've, I've been... A little bit trivial, I've been joking about some things. But I want to get a little more serious now. And talk about some really serious things. You see, as, as I was coming down here tonight, I was just praying for the service. And I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me a prophetic picture for some lives here tonight. That if any of you have ever done any landscaping, sometimes they, they put down underneath the mulch, they put that black barrier down to keep weeds from growing up. And then they put the mulch over it and the plants over it. And I believe there are some people here that you've got this barrier over the soil of your heart because you think you're protecting yourself against certain things. But really what you're doing is you're not allowing the seed of the word of God, as James says, to come in with humility and be implanted in your heart and to grow up into something. You're not allowing the watering of the word to come in. You're not allowing God's call on your life to really take root. I believe that a lot of Christians today live in fear. We live in, in fear of all kinds of different things. But God says that perfect love casts out fear. God says that I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but I gave you a spirit of love and peace and a sound mind. And I want to talk tonight, just briefly, about two different stories of fear in the Bible. Two different stories of fear. There was a man named Saul, not Saul who became Paul the Apostle, but King Saul, a man who encountered fear. And there was a woman named Esther, a woman who encountered fear in the Bible. And I want to talk first about Saul. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 10. Because the problem with fear is this. Fear will absolutely cripple you. From becoming who God intended for you to be. Because how many of you know there are Christians, there are people who have made a decision. And as Paul describes in the New Testament, they'll be saved one day as if by fire. And then there are people that I like to call kingdom people. There are Christians and there are kingdom people. There are people who they've made a decision, they've made some kind of mental assent to the person of Jesus. There has been a spark of faith in their heart. But when it comes to submitting to the lordship of Jesus, when it comes to seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, they're just sort of at level zero. They're at infancy. And then there are this other group of people. They're, they're all going to heaven, make no mistake. But there's this other group of people I like to call kingdom people that chase after what God has for them, that believe with tenacity that his call is the best call and it's better than anything you could make for yourself, that believe with fervency and pray with fervency after the kingdom and don't just worry about their career, don't just worry about their school. And I'm all for careers. I believe in working hard. I believe in a good work ethic. But there's more church. There is a kingdom, there is a mission, there is a mandate from our king. And unless you learn to uproot fear from your life, to walk in that, in the individual expression of that, that God has called you to, then you will not live what I'm calling a kingdom life. You will go to heaven, that's great, but come on, we got some years here. God promised you a seat in heaven, not a couch on earth. Alright, so come on, let's go. Let's go. 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And we're going to start verse 20. Excuse me, verse, uh, let's go with, yeah, we'll go with verse 20. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. 
Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin nearby its families, and the Matrite family was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from the shoulders upward. He would not have fit on the Newport News plane. Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. You see, so many people get the story of Saul just a little bit wrong. It's not even so much that they get it wrong. It's that they don't really go deep enough. They don't go back far enough. You see, everybody will say, what was Saul's problem? Saul's problem was jealousy. He was jealous of David. But do you know what the root of jealousy is? The root of jealousy is fear. Fear that I'm not as good as that person. Fear that my calling is not as prominent or as worthy of the spotlight as that person. Fear that what God is doing in my life is lagging behind that person over there. That's what results in jealousy. It's rooted in fear. And many of you know the story of Saul and of David. And they go out to war. And they're out and they're facing the Philistines. And there's Goliath right there. And Goliath comes to them for 40 days and challenges them and says, Hey, somebody come fight me. Let's do it. Let's go right now. Somebody come fight me. And Saul is there with all his people. And they just chill out for 40 days. Worrying, waiting, not sure what to do. And all of a sudden, David comes up, and you know the story. David slays Goliath. And then they go on into battle. And when they return to Jerusalem, when they return to the city, all the people start crying out and say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And you see, Saul had never dealt with this root problem of fear in his life. And so when that came up, Upsprouted jealousy. And he was so jealous, and it says, the Bible says that he hated David from that day forward. And he moved on. And that started this enmity between Saul and David. And the man went insane over his jealousy. The man went insane because he wasn't secure in his calling of who God intended him to be. Now, I want to turn to one other book of the Bible, Esther. Esther chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. She's saying this in reply to Mordecai because her people are at stake. There's a genocide about to take place in that area. Haman, one of the king's officials, had ordered that all the Jews be killed. And Esther is being encouraged by Mordecai to go and intervene. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Man. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. 
Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, you're dead. No. What is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Three quick things. The first way you battle fear in your life is you embrace who you were made to be. That might sound elementary to some of you. That might sound basic but how many of you know so often we're brought back to the basics in our walk with Jesus? Because we get them wrong and Satan knows that the most power is in the most foundational things. And if he can get you away from those things, he has the most effectiveness to take you out. And so we're talking about embracing who you were made to be. Here's a little known fact about Saul and Esther. They were related. Saul and Esther were both descendants of the tribe of Benjamin from the family of Kish. Now, back in biblical times, you communicated your status by communicating your relationship to the nearest spiritual superstar. That's how it worked. So you see these genealogies in the Bible and it says so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of him, and he was a mighty warrior. So-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, and he's the one who went and killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day or whatever. You know, fill in the blank. Some crazy exploit, some crazy endeavor that actually happened. Benea, go look it up. You know, some crazy endeavor, some crazy exploit. And Esther is from the family of Kish, and Saul is from the family of Kish. In fact, when Saul is first introduced to us in the Bible, it doesn't even say Saul, son of Kish. The way the Bible introduces is it says, hey, so-and-so had a son whose name was Kish. And Kish had a son whose name was Saul. It's almost as if Saul is an afterthought because he hasn't done anything yet. Kish is the one who's mighty. He's done stuff. And it says when we're introduced to Saul, Kish had a son. Not Saul, son of Kish. Kish had a son. You see where the emphasis is? It's like if, if you've ever had somebody who is, who is uh, you know, really, really well-known in a church or something like that, and you come and you're, you're that person's brother or that person's sister, and you come on, or, or well-known in some organization, and you come and people introduce you and they'll say, oh, hey, well, this is, this is Justin's brother. And you're sitting there like, no, I'm not, man. I'm my own person. You know, don't, don't introduce me like that. I'm my own person. This is so-and-so's brother. And after a while, you have to make a name for yourself. You have to get known in the community. And then all of a sudden, it's, hey, this is so-and-so. Oh, and did you know that he's also his brother? You know, they introduce you as who you are. Saul and Esther both had this lineage, this history, this heritage of spiritual and physical strength and bravery. They both did. Kish was a mighty warrior. They both came from this lineage, and the Jews appreciated lineage and history so much that you know that they knew they came from Kish. They knew who the great-great-granddaddy was, the guy who'd done all these crazy feats and exploits. And yet, look at these two different scenarios. Saul comes in and sits for 40 days. What more of an opportunity do you want to do something for God? To see God move on your behalf for 40 days. And he's sitting there thinking, a giant, oh my Lord, we can't do that. And contrast that with Esther's response that says, I haven't even been summoned, but if I die, I die. Man, the women making the men look bad. Nothing's changed. Some of you caught that. Esther says, if I die, I die. Saul just sits and will not embrace who he was meant to be. You know what the fascinating thing is about Esther? It's so fascinating because she goes in 
And what she wants is simply to avoid punishment. That's her first goal. If I can, oh, Jesus, if I can just get in there and avoid punishment, and then I'm going to ask him for this thing just to overturn this ruling from Haman. And what we find out as the people of God reading about someone who has passed down spiritual heritage to us, Esther, is not only is God on her behalf to remove the potential punishment, but he's even there to bless her beyond the blessing that she set out for. But if she hadn't pressed through the fear, she wouldn't have known that. See, she presses through the fear and is going in there just trying to avoid punishment and then just trying to get this command overturned. And the king looks at her and says, hey, not only will you avoid punishment, anything you want up to half my kingdom. If he had given her even a little bit more than half, that would make her greater than him. He was saying to her, I'll make you even as great as me. Even as great as me. I'll give you half of everything that I have. Half of it. Not only do you avoid punishment. See, so many of you, I believe, you're afraid to step out to what God has called you to do. Because, oh, they might look back on me and they might say, well, you know, who, who are you to do that? Who do you think you are? And you're afraid over here because, you know, you're afraid to share the gospel because somebody might look at you and say, well, I, I'm not interested in that. Or I'm afraid to share it at my job because there are these laws and there's these different things. And I'm all for the laws of the land, Romans 13. I'm all for it. Let's abide by spiritual authority. Let's do that. But when God calls you to something and you're sitting there in fear, the lesson I want you to take from tonight is when you step out in the midst of fear, you step out and you press out against that, not only will you avoid the punishment, but God is waiting to move on your behalf, church, to bless you even beyond the blessing you're seeking. Do you understand that, church? There's a story in Genesis where Abram goes through Egypt with his wife Sarai after God has called him out of the land, and he fakes who his wife is. He fakes who she is because he's afraid of the consequences. Because she's in her 60s and she's hot. She's in her 60s. Forget the Esther treatment, the six months of oils, the six months of spices. I want the Sarai treatment, man. Looking good in my 60s. Looking so good that I attract the attention of the men of an entire, not the men, the women of an entire nation. <laughs> I'm a man, I promise. I'm masculine. He was afraid, but God came and God spoke to Abimelech and said, don't touch her, she's the man's wife. God was waiting all the time to move on his behalf, but he let fear get in the way. We find that out after the fact. He was afraid, but God was waiting all the, all the time to move on his behalf. And he ended up doing that afterwards. Come on, let's move on. Embracing who God has called you to be. Embracing who God has called you to be. Number two. I want to encourage you to promote other people. I want to encourage you to promote other people. One of the testimonies I've often shared in my life and in my church is that one of the struggles that I had early on in my faith was that I was so afraid that I wasn't enough. And so anyone else who shared a talent that I had, I couldn't talk openly and publicly about how good that person was at their particular talent because I was afraid in some ugly, twisted, sick way that by lifting them up, I was now relatively being pushed down. And I was afraid of that. Man, you talk about jacked up. I believe there are people here tonight where that's you. That's in your heart. And this is not to condemn you. This is to give you an opportunity to be released from that. Because that only pains you, it only stops you from God's best over your life. And do you know what I did? I didn't have this trigger moment where all of a sudden I had no more jealousy. Someone lay hands on me. I got slain in the spirit. My head cracked the cement floor and I was still okay, Jesus. I didn't have that moment. It was this gradual thing. Some things God will deliver you from in a moment. Some things are a process. How many of you know that? And this was a process in my life that over time... What I did is I would go to people who I knew had shared a talent with me, and there would be this thing inside of me writhing and upset and saying, don't do that, don't, you know, don't give them credit because you're going to get less credit as a result, relatively speaking, they're putting up and you're going to, and I, I would fight against that and I'd say, hey, you know what, you did a really, really great job at that today. I play the drums, I've played for about 15 years. 
And so I'd go up to people and say, you know what, you did an awesome job drumming during worship today. And I'd walk away and I'd be like, oh, man, why did I say that? But over time, over time, God did something in my heart where I put my mouth where his spirit was leading and my heart began to follow. And as I promoted other people, I'm not talking, you know, I, I don't have the power to promote people, give them raises at work and say, hey, you're a commander now, you're this now, you're a director now. I'm just talking about going out, these small, subtle, verbal and spiritual promotions of your brothers and your sisters around you. Where you can go on and say, you're awesome at that, I appreciate it. you did a great job. And over time, the Spirit of God chips away at fear in your life. And you realize for the first time that it's actually a higher spiritual place to be lifting people up than it is to be looking down on them from above. And that that is actually what men and women of God are called to. You're not called to the spotlight. You're not called to look down on people to be better than every. You are called to get under people and lift them up. I re- man, growing up in a pastor's home, I realized this over time. Is, is, you know, I grew up thinking like, oh, the pastor is the spotlight and they get, the, they get to speak and everybody listens to them and they're the focal point of attention. And over time, <laughs> once I became a pastor, I was like, man, the calling of God on pastors is to get under everybody and to lift them up and to promote them into what God is calling them to do. But even if you're not a pastor, do that. Start to promote other people in your life. Start to tell them how great they are. Start to look at other. Stop worrying about your place. You worry about promoting other people around you, God will take care of you. That's a spiritual truth, and if you don't tap into that, you will only go as far as you can push yourself. But when you push other people, you get the hand of God behind your own life, and there's no limit to where he can take your life. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Anybody? Point number three, and I'm going to close with this. Live a life of initiative. Live a life of initiative. Number one, embrace who you were called to be. Number two, promote others. Number three, live a life of initiative. The problem with Saul is he sat for 40 days. There are few things that bother me. If I can just say, especially in men, especially in men of God, in Christian men, then laziness and a lack of initiative. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> if, I, if I had something to preach on where all my bitterness would come out, it would be on that. A lack of initiative. Who do you serve, church? Who do you serve? Do you serve? But, but the problem is, is that we don't hang around long enough in prayer. And we don't push through long enough. To see God move on our behalf. And so over time, because our prayers stopped at just a minute, or we just offered up a tweet to heaven, and we never pursued God in prayer for kingdom endeavors, you never get those milestones down the hallway of your past as you grow up as a Christian to look back and say, I know who I serve. I serve God. He did it back there. He can do it today. Because the way God has crafted your life is you will go from glory to glory, from strength to strength, not from weakness to weakness as so many people live today. But you've got to listen to him today and respond to that today. But as you do that, as you stick it out and as you push in, God will meet you and God will answer prayers. And then you look back and you remember who you serve. But the people who don't stick it out and hang in and press through, they don't have those mile markers. And so when it comes to the big fight, when it comes to believing God for something really weighty for the first time, they forget who they serve. Because they didn't say yes back here. And they didn't say yes right here. And they didn't say yes right here. But then all of a sudden, you're met with something weighty. And so my question for you is, where in your life is there a lack of initiative? Do you live next to somebody and you've lived there for some time and you have never, ever said the name of Jesus to that person? Now, I believe in being spirit-led in evangelism. I even believe in relational lifestyle evangelism more than event-based evangelism for my own personal life. God can use both. That's how I operate. But come on, church. You live next to somebody for so long. You get to see them. You're out mowing. And you never have a conversation. You never even let them know that Jesus is something to you. I'm talking about a life of initiative where Esther goes and says, if I die, I die. But something's got to be done. 
Not the Sauls of the world, the Sauls of the New Testament. Come on, church, do not be a Saul of the New Testament where you come in and you just sit for 40 days while people die and go to hell around you. You sit for 40 days while other people plant churches. You sit for 40 days. It may not be 40 literal days, however long it is. What is God calling you to? What has he put your heart to? That you lack some initiative. And again, this is not to condemn you. This is not to hit you over the head. This is to say there's an opportunity. There's a divine moment now. And will you respond to that? Go ahead and stand with me. If I can get the band to come on up. You may not be afraid of vomiting. <laughs> you may be afraid of sharing your faith. <clears throat> you may be afraid of circumcising your checkbook, so to speak, where all of a sudden you start to give a little bit to the house of God, to the work of God. You may be afraid of something, because, and, and I believe this too, I, I believe often that God actually wants to use people, even in this day and age, perhaps more than any other, God wants to use people in the secular workplace, in the business place. I love the fact that right now, because I'm called to it, I love the fact I don't work for a church. I have a full-time job. I manage a team of designers at William & Mary that runs their website and does publications for them and create a video and things like that. And I love that. Because it gives me something to kind of go after. It gives me people to be around, to be a light to on a daily basis. I don't have to try. I don't have to go put myself in. I'm there. If I'm not there, I don't get paid. I'm there. And recently, I, I believe that God put it on my heart to continue just to keep going with my job and keep an upward trend. And, and so for, for you, it may be that God's calling you to more responsibility, but you're comfortable where you're at. But God wants to use you because like Esther, it may be that you will attain royalty for such a time as the move of God. But until you step out and take initiative, you see the people of God are called to take dominion from the beginning. From Genesis to take them and I'm not talking about being dominant I'm not talking about coming in and ruling the world so to speak although that will happen someday but what I'm talking about is just going in taking initiative because you know who you serve come on church anybody know who you serve did you know you serve the king of kings did you know you serve the Lord of Lords did you know you serve the God of a cattle on the thousand hills the God who has no bottom to his checkbook the God who has the ability to heal your infirmity has, in fact, already healed that. It's a matter of appropriating it for today. You serve a God who's willing to not just remove the punishment when you step out in initiative, but he's intending to bless you beyond that which you first sought out. You serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Church, come on, can we reflect on God's bigness for a moment? Can we reflect on the might of Jesus Christ? The might of God. Can we reflect on the equipping of the Holy Spirit to go and to tread on serpents, to cast out demons? But until you get the fear out, until you live a life of initiative, until you begin to promote the people of God around you and lift them up, because you can only carry yourself so far, but when you lift people up around you, all of a sudden the whole church is going somewhere to a higher level. And that, that's a beautiful thing you got to get the fear out. I want you to close your eyes. And I'd like to just take a moment. We're not, we're not going to do this for, for a really long time. I'm not going to have a Benny Hinn session in here. I just want to take a moment. And I believe that the preaching of the word is anointed. I believe that when we open the scripture of God, that's why I always tell our young people, I say, if you ever move away and you go to a church and the pastor just preaches kind of speeches and doesn't open the Bible, run away and go to another church. Because the word is already anointed. You preach from the word, it's going to be an anointed word. It's going to be good. And so when we preach in the church, 
The Bible says the Word of God is like a two-edged sword. It goes forward. It splits the thoughts and intentions of men. The Bible says that the Word of God goes forward and it reaps a harvest. It doesn't return void. And when it goes on good soil, it reaps 30, 60, 100-fold. And I believe that even as I've been speaking, not because I'm powerful or I'm gifted, but because of who He is, that the Holy Spirit's been putting on some of your hearts and saying, right there, right there, come on. Get the fear out, son. Come on, get the fear out, daughter. I am waiting to move on your behalf. And as the band leads us in a song, I just want to encourage you, if that's you, if you feel the Holy Spirit just tugging on your heart, I want you to just take a step out of your seat to come on up here as a sign that you want to respond. And we just want to pray for you just for a minute, just for a minute. Come on, don't wait for me to say one, two, three. Don't wait for the song to start. Don't wait for the chorus climax. Just come on up. You don't need that. There's an endeavor in front of you. There's an opportunity in front of you. There is healing that needs to take place in your life. But because of fear, you've been held back. And if you don't feel you need to respond to this message, that's absolutely fine. But I would encourage you... Because fear is unique. I would encourage you to pray for those who are up here. Because there are certain vices that when God roots it out, it takes a whole lot to get that thing back in your life in some kind of rooted way. But fear is not like that. You see, somebody can be delivered from alcoholism, but every morning when they wake up, if they've had a discipline of not putting alcohol in their fridge... They're not necessarily tempted with that at every turn. But fear is present and available for you at every turn of your life. At every turn. I, I shared a testimony recently. We found this lump on my, on my son's shoulder, my six-year-old son, and, and it was right here at the bottom of his deltoid on the bone. And we were freaking out because my mother-in-law has had three different bouts with cancer. And so we, we, were, we were concerned, and I was, I, when we saw it, I was, and, it, and it got bigger really quick. It was like, like a, almost like an, an apple. And I started praying, and I was like, Jesus, please, not my boy. And we took him to the doctor. We prayed over him. We took him down to CHKD here in Newport News, and the doctor looked at the x-ray, and he said, hey, guess what? I don't need to do any more tests. I don't need to take any more blood. He doesn't need surgery. It's fine. It's never cancerous in children, this condition. He doesn't even need to have it removed. Go home. Beautiful. Awesome. And I realize not every situation ends like that. I realize that. But I want to encourage you. Remember who you serve. And he's waiting to move on your behalf. And so fear is an ever-present reality. It's an everyday struggle. So those of you who are out here, please pray for these. And we just want to take a moment. The band's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to pray for these. There's nothing worth more 
tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone oh in your presence lord holy and holy
just a minute. Hey, if you're down here in the front and no one's prayed with you yet, if you just slip up your hand so we can see you and someone's going to find you and pray with you, we don't want you to leave here tonight without having had the opportunity to pray. Hey, before we go, we're going to take up an offering for Justin so he can get a new coat. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. So appreciate the word that he brought tonight. It's, it's powerful to see people dealing with their stuff, isn't it? And, and, if, and if you're here tonight and you wanted to be up here, that's a, hey, that's okay. God's patient with you. You leave tonight and you say, I'm coming next time, right? Your, your journey is, is going to be a, to make a commitment to say, I'm going to have some resolve. And I'm, next time there's an opportunity to come, I'm going to come. I'm telling you, God will meet you in these places. He will meet you in these places. Just today as we were... We, were, we had gone out for a big lunch because, again, we've been gone all week just to reconnect with our, our kids. And as, as we're driving back, I'm not going to tell you which one. I don't want to embarrass them. But we're coming back. We're, we're driving. And, and one of them says, hey, look, there's some horses at 9 o'clock. And one of our other kids, don't you mean 12 o'clock? Because they were, you know, right in front of us. And they said, what, what difference does it make? Right? They hear us say this saying all the time, but they just thought you would throw out some random number. It, they didn't understand it was directional in nature. So we explained it to them, and they went, oh, that's so great. Yeah. And you, right, when you're growing up as a kid, you hear sayings, you use them, and, and then there's this moment where all of a sudden there's revelation. You finally figure it out. That's what that means. That's why you say it that way. So for all day, we've just been randomly saying to our kids, hey, look, you know, there's the mailman at 4 o'clock, right? And God's like that with us sometimes. We walk through life. We read verses of Scripture. Maybe tonight you've read these stories a hundred times, or maybe you're hearing it tonight for the first time. But I'm trusting that all of a sudden you figured something out about fear tonight, that you don't have to be ruled by it. That all of a sudden tonight you figured something out about fear is that I can overcome this struggle in my life. That you're going to leave here tonight with understanding that's going to empower you to live different. Father, we celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your power. We thank you for the work that you're doing in people's hearts that are standing up here and being prayed for tonight, oh God. And we thank you for the work that you're doing in the heart of every person that's here. And we see you, God, at every o'clock surrounding us. We are embedded in your presence. Awaken us to who you are not just in moments like this, but all the days of our life, that we will conquer fear and we will rise up and be the people of God that you've called and created us to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Hey, we'll see you next week. And before we go, can you just thank Justin for that word that he shared with us tonight? <laughs>